Hey, good morning, One Chapel. My name is Brent Parsley, and I am the campus pastor for One Chapel Kyle. And it is so good to be with you here this morning. Thanks for showing up and joining us online. I really believe it's gonna be a great day. As we get started here this morning, I have a, I got a bit of a confession to make. I'm not very handy. Now, that may come as a surprise to many of you, but I'm just not handy. Like, I don't think it's so much that I, I'm, I'm not handy as much as I just don't have the experience I just haven't tried a lot of times. So during quarantine, I've actually started to develop some skills. Like, I'm trying. I actually, um, I fixed a bunch of bikes. I, I fixed toilet in the house. I, I fixed a freezer. Like, I'm, I'm doing my best. But where it kind of goes south for me is when I get to the cars. I don't know a thing about fixing our cars. Now, the problem is, is that we've decided to Dave Ramsey it. So we've paid off our cars, and we're just going to drive them into the ground. And people, we're driving them into the ground. So it's very likely that you'll see me on the side of the road at some point, just pull over and please help a brother out. But here's the thing. Recently, we had our van, my wife's van, the door stopped working. So, so I had three doors all at once, the two side doors and the lift gate, they all stopped working. My kids couldn't get in. One door would stick. The other door wouldn't open at all. So I drive it to the mechanic. I leave it on the mechanic and he kind of says, yeah, I don't know. I'll take a look at it. Well, a week goes by, I don't hear anything from the mechanic. So I call him up and I say, hey, hey, where's, where's my van? What's going on? And he says, yeah, I, I couldn't quite figure it out. I, I don't know. And I said, well, listen, I need it for the weekend. So let me come pick it up and I'll bring it back when the weekend's over so you can fix it. So during the weekend while I have it, I was looking at it and I was thinking, you know, surely, like I'm learning a lot during quarantine. Surely there's something that I could do to fix this van. So I went after it. And so I, I went outside and I, I'm opening up the sliding door and it's sticking and it, it won't go and my kids are laughing and I, I can't quite get it. I'm like, don't worry, kids, I, I, I can do it. And as I'm moving the door, the door actually falls off of the van. The sliding glass door, the sliding door, it falls off of the van into my hands. The corner hits the ground, dents the van. My kids are laughing and I'm thinking, what in the world am I going to do? Well, I did what we all do. Like there's two sources of inspiration, I think, for all of us. One of those, of course, is the word of God. And the other, well, it's YouTube. So I went to YouTube and I, I looked around on how I could possibly fix this thing. I couldn't find it in the scriptures for the Honda Odyssey. So I, I ended up going to YouTube. I found the fix. So I ordered the part. I, I go to work. I'm taking stuff off. I'm putting stuff on. And I finally get the van door back on. It works perfectly. I end up in that weekend fixing all three of the van doors. Now, a lot of you are at home saying, that's really good. Good for you. A bunch of you are saying, who cares? I do that every day. But just give me a win, all right? Because here's what I learned on that day. I learned that you don't always need a pro. You don't always need a professional. In fact, there's a lot of things that you and I can do, and I'd like to talk to you about that today. Most of you know that we're in this series called The Jesus Way. And it's based on a book by an author and theologian by the name of Eugene Peterson, brilliant guy. And we've been camped out on the words of Jesus in John chapter 14, verse one. And it says this, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the place to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
So in this passage, we hear the six of Jesus' seven great I am self-definitions. In verse six, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Notice the three words there that he uses to describe himself. He says he is the way, he is the truth, he's the life. And these three words can't be separated. In fact, they're supposed to be emphatically connected. And the way that we've been saying it through this series is the Jesus way, when combined with the Jesus truth, is what brings the Jesus life. So that means that we can't just proclaim the Jesus truth and then live any way that we want to. Nor can we follow the Jesus way and not speak the Jesus truth. So across all of our One Chapel campuses, we're all wrestling with the question, what does it really mean to follow Jesus? Which way is really the Jesus way? What does it really mean for me to follow Jesus? When everything that we consider normal has been stripped away as it has over these past five months. Because I believe that we're actually in the middle of not just an interruption, but a full-on disruption where God is resetting. He's reshaping, maybe even reforming the church in America. And I think reforming one chapel in certain ways that we're praying about and leaning into. I believe that he's doing that. And we want to get back to the basics of the Jesus way. And, and I just want to warn you all, we're probably going to tip over some sacred cows along the way. So in this series, what we're trying to do is we're trying to contrast the Jesus way with the American way, where if we're honest, we're more often discipled by politics, by news, by social media than we are by Jesus. And so today, we're going to talk about a major issue that's prevalent in our American churches. And frankly, I think just in our American way of following Jesus. And that's the idea of, and I don't know how else to say it except for professional Christians. Now, you might not use that term, professional Christians, but you actually know what I'm talking about. Because here's the truth. Pastors like me, we get treated differently when we're out and about in the world. Like, if you're sitting on an airplane and you're having a conversation, and that question comes up and somebody says, so what do you do? Well, you've been having a great conversation up to that point. But when you say, well, I'm a pastor, they go, oh. And the conversation, it just stops. They're not really interested in talking to you much more. If I go out to dinner with some of you and we're sitting around to dinner at a restaurant and somebody wants to order a drink. And so they're thinking, oh, I might have. And they look up at me and go, like, is, it, is, is, that, is, that, is that okay? I, can, I, can I order this? It happens all the time. If you're working with somebody and somebody hits their thumb with a hammer and maybe, I don't know, some kind of cuss word flies out of their mouth. I get a lot of this. Oh, <laughs> sorry, Reverend. <laughs> apologize. Apologize for that. It happens all the time. If I go out to dinner and I, we're about to pray at every table, oh, shall we pray for the meal? Pastor, it always happens. The same thing if I go to a group. I sit down in a group and we're talking about the scriptures and everybody kind of goes, oh, ha, ha, I don't know. What do you have to say, Pastor? We treat pastors differently. I wanna to talk today to those of you who think of yourselves as the non-professionals. You might call yourselves the amateurs or the, the mere Christians. If you've been around church for a long time, you might say the lay person. Oh, I'm, I'm just a humble lay person. In church lingo, you might say the laity, which is a fancy word that really just means ordinary people separated from the clergy, just ordinary people. 
So when people say, oh, I'm, I'm just a lay person, that's what they mean. And it's usually with a self-deprecating tone. <laughs> I'm just a lay person. I've never been to seminary. I don't exactly know much about any of this. And if you ever said that, I want you to know today you're in good company. Because Moses said that to God in Exodus chapter 3 when he said, who am I that I should be the one to go to Pharaoh? Jeremiah said it to God in Jeremiah chapter 1 where he said, but I'm only a boy. It's an old habit, I think, that comes pretty naturally along with the human condition. If you don't have a specific role or title or you, you you don't have a professionally certified position in an organization or a position that people will recognize, we often feel like we're just inadequate and oftentimes apologetic. Unless, of course, you're in Enneagram 3 and then you just make stuff up. Or in Enneagram 8 and you just walk all over everybody and make them believe it. Where's my Enneagram 3s and 8s? Let me know in the comments. I'm a 3 right on. If you're concerned about all of that right now, then you can just put the pray emoji and just pray for all of us. To say it another way, if it's just me, I don't have any standing. I'm just a simple, ordinary person. And honestly, in our churches, I think there may be few words more disabling than layperson, than just ordinary person. Because what happens is we get this idea, and actually it's a lie, that there's a two-level hierarchy for the men and women who follow Jesus. There are those that are trained, and we would refer to them as the, the called. And they're the, they're the pros. They're the people who get to paid to, to preach, to teach, to guide us in the Christian way, to lead. And so they're on the upper level of the hierarchy. That would be me. And then there's everybody else. And, well, that's you. And they do the boring stuff. You know, God assigns them, like, jobs. They have, like, they've got, like, careers. So they're store clerks and they're journalists or they're parents or software engineers or even lawyers. And they're on the lower level. Where does this idea come from? I mean, we're all followers of Jesus. And we definitely don't get that idea from the scriptures. It doesn't come from the gospel and you definitely don't get it from Jesus. I think it comes from our culture. Everywhere we look, we're being marketed to by the experts, and they're obviously the experts, and we're the consumers that need whatever it is they have to sell so that maybe, just maybe, we can be like them. I also think it just comes from from leaders, people who enjoy position and the power of being the expert in the room, people who might bully other people into giving up the original beauty of having a new life in Jesus and all that that means, And they decide instead to be content with the position of merely being a consumer. So as a result, we, the consumers, we just become kind of passive. We're we're passive in the seat in the church. We're, We're passive in front of the screen like the one you're on today. And then we become vulnerable to whatever sort of exploitation or seduction, whether it's secular or religious. And worst of all, I think what happens is we become passive in the ways and means of following Jesus. We let other people who we think they must know better just be the ones to tell us how we should do it rather than leaning in, listening to Jesus and letting him lead us himself. Listen, everybody, none of us have to live that way. We can refuse it. We can refuse to let the culture tell us how we should go about our lives. We we don't have to passively let professionals decide the way that we'll follow Jesus. We can take responsibility for the way that we live and we work in our homes, in our public, with our kids, with our coworkers. Because the entire idea of a two-level Christian hierarchy, it's a barefaced lie. It doesn't exist. It's a lie that, by the way, the enemy has 
pushed into our Christian community. And, and here's what it does. It does a couple things. Number one, it misleads us into believing that our workplace, it limits our usefulness to Jesus. So we're only part-time workers for Jesus. And that's all I am. I got a nine to five job. And then from five to midnight, well, I can be about some of the margins of the kingdom work. Once I finish my job and I leave home, now maybe I can volunteer with the church. And now maybe I can do some ministry or I can host a small group. No, that's not the way that this works. And it's not the way that Jesus ever meant it to be. You gotta realize that you, in your nine to five job, and in fact, all day long, you are smack dab in the center of the kingdom of God. And he's decided that he wants to work with you. The second thing that this lie does is it, it damages the ways and means that we've been talking about for the past two weeks. It damages the ways and means that we use to follow Jesus. Because what happens is we defer all the decisions about all of that to the qualified experts out there or the Christian professionals. It's not hard to see how this non-professional put-down happens in our culture. When we're young, we're weaker, we, we know less, we have less experience than all the big people, all the adults that surround us. And so we grow up with these feelings of inadequacy and oftentimes they just carry into our adult lives, right? You've probably experienced it, I have. So what we do is we compensate. We go after awards, we go after trophies, we earn degrees to prove our accomplishments, or we run after stuff. We run after, we, we join a, a new club, we, we, we might dress in the latest fashion or buy a new car, or we attach ourselves to some successful sport teams, or at least we used to five months ago, we don't do that much anymore. And we try to acquire significance. We look for the roles that define who we are in society. What role can I have that will define me by performing some function, I get, I get rewarded with some money or some applause. So what people think of us, how much they're willing to, to pay us in that role, it disguises our feelings of inadequacy. We disguise it from our friends, from our neighbors, from our coworkers. We're always looking, looking around for ways to do that, looking around for ways to, to hide it, to disguise it. Here's one area in my life where I'm not just a layperson. Like I'm a mechanic. I know more about your car than you do, which, by the way, according to my opening, I do. So if you need any help, you feel free to email me. I'm a mechanic, so when I'm working on your car, I'm not a layperson. Like, I know about this. People would say, no, I'm a doctor. I've studied. I know more about your body than you do. So while I've got this scalpel in my hand, while, while I'm doing this work, I'm not a simple layperson. I'm not ordinary. Or I'm a professor. I teach history. I know more about history than you do. So while I'm lecturing... I'm not just an ordinary person and on and on and on. Like it makes sense to me why we have this non-professional put down in our world. But here's the reality. The hierarchy of expertise among Christians, it doesn't work. In fact, what I want you to realize today is there are no experts in the community of Jesus. There are no experts in the community of Jesus. We're all beginners. We're all followers. We're all followers because none of us actually know where we're going. Jesus is the one who's leading us in his way to his destination. So we're all just trying to follow along. If you think about it, it just doesn't make sense that the term layperson, it continues to marginalize us. So many followers of Jesus from, from all in participation in the kingdom of God, being everything that he planned on us being. 
But just think about it for a second. Jesus did not only call non-professionals to follow him. I'm sorry, didn't. That's what I mean to say. Didn't. That's better. Didn't Jesus only call non-professionals to follow him? Like, just look at the people that were in his circle. Were there professionals there? There weren't. There's not a priest. There's not a professor among the 12 men who are following him and the numerous women followers that surrounded Jesus. And sure, Paul, he had a studied history, but he was also a tent maker. So maybe it's time, everybody. Maybe it's just time that we decided God is working in me. God and I, we have a relationship. I'm part of this community. Maybe it's time that we stop, we stop elevating podcasts and YouTube videos and Christian books in the way that we have and realize God is intimately involved in me. He wants to work with and through me. Listen, I love all that stuff. I listen to podcasts all the time. I love watching sermon videos on YouTube. I love all of that. But it can't be the primary thing that I focus on. It can't be the thing that feeds me the most. When it comes to the Jesus way, we've got we've to strip these words, words like laity and layperson. I realize we don't use those very often today. We've got to strip those ideas of every hint of condescension. We've got to rediscover the the, the biblical dignity, as Eugene Peterson would call it, or the, the gospel vigor. Restore the gospel vigor to every single random follower of Jesus. That's you. Every one of us, men, women, young adults, teenagers, kids, all of us, we need to boldly carry the title layperson, ordinary person into the workplace. Boldly carry it into the church boldly carry it into your home without apology. I am an ordinary person that God works with and through to do his kingdom work, bringing the kingdom of God to bear in the earth everywhere I go. That's who you are. Because the scriptures call you the people of God. You are the laity. You are the laypersons. Maybe we can bring the word back. I don't know. You are the non-professionals. You are the ordinary people. And you are every bit as able to do the stuff, just like Mary or Elizabeth or John or Peter, all of them ordinary non-professionals. We're just as capable of hearing God and obeying him and loving him and loving others and helping one another right alongside the best of them that you'll read about in the scriptures. We have a common identity as Christians. And where we get it most explicitly is when we're baptized. It happens. Here's how Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. He says, for we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Baptism marks all of us as the work We are the work of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We don't achieve any of that identity on our own. He does the work. And it's not a mark of superiority over others. Here's the truth. Baptism is a reminder of our common identity, one in the Spirit, so much more than just ordinary people as he works in and with and through us. The truth is most people who set out and continue to follow Jesus They're ordinary people. They're just ordinary people. The vast majority of Jesus' followers are ordinary people that God works with and through, just regular folks who are following in the Jesus way. There is no need for us 
to take a subordinate position under the so-called professionals of faith. Yes, I'm a pastor, and yes, I have a role, but I'm just a member on the team just like you are. I just have a role, and so do you. Let me show it to you quickly through scripture. When God rescued Israel from Egypt, and they're all gathered at Mount Sinai to begin their formation as a new free people, God spoke words over them that defined them over and against the four centuries of slavery they'd experienced in Egypt. And one of the definitions that he used was kingdom of priests. Here it is in Exodus 19, verse one. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day, they came to the wilderness of Sinai, for they had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people for all the earth is mine. Here it is. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Now, the priest was a privileged, highly influential position in the culture from which they had just been rescued. And it was a far cry from anything that these people may have imagined for themselves. And now God was saying they were all priests. And it'd take a long time for them to figure that out and actually live into what that meant. And the truth is, many of them would never get it. But continue on in verse 16. It came to pass on the third day in the morning, there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp, they trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. Stay with me, we're going somewhere. Exodus 20, verse 18. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and they stood afar off and they said to Moses, you, 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 you speak with us and we'll hear, but, 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 but don't let God speak with us lest we die. See, it was hard for them to see themselves as priests. And they said, no, no, Moses, you, you go. You go, you tell us what God said. That, that'll, that'll be good enough. We're, we're fine. We don't need to do it. We'll just be here and you go for us. Honestly, many of us are still doing that exact same thing. Many of us still don't get it that God is calling to you and saying, I want you to participate with me in my kingdom work. So go 1,200 years or so later, and Peter picks up the phrase. He's writing to first century Christians, and he's trying to help them to understand and live out their, their baptismal identity that we talked about. So we go to 1 Peter 2, 9, and here's what it says. But you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Into his marvelous light. Is that it? I guess that's it. Thank you. <laughs> and then, so there it is. You may proclaim the mighty acts as a royal priesthood. And then the apostle John, he gets the last word in scripture about all of this. He also used the term priest to identify Christians in his congregations as he's writing. Revelation 1, five through six, to him who loves us, and freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us to be a kingdom. Priests serving his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
Revelation 5, verse 9, they sing a new song. You're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slaughtered, and by your blood you ransomed for God. Saints from every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests serving our God, and they'll reign on the earth. You can continue it actually through history if you remember Martin Luther's Reformation in 1517. Now, most of you probably don't remember that because not that you're that old, but maybe you studied it a little bit. One of Martin Luther's main assertions was the priesthood of all believers. He said, that's actually who we are. Can I be honest with you? One of the crippling misunderstandings of Martin Luther's Reformation is that all of us, we've, we've assumed or worse, oftentimes insisted that we're our own priest. In other words, I don't need a priest. It's just me and Jesus. We're just doing our thing. I'm, I'm a priest. It's just me and him. I'm just fine on my own. But that's not what God intended, and that's not what Martin Luther intended. When he included the priesthood of all believers as a fundamental tenet of, uh, for reforming the church. So what he meant was, we're all priests. Not for ourselves, but for one another. All of us are priests, but that doesn't mean it's just me and Jesus. We're, we're not for ourselves, but, but we are priests for one another. In other words, I need you for my priest. I need you to, to join with me in this work. And while we're at it, I'm available as your priest. Now, we all have direct access to God, but everybody, the priesthood of all believers it's this beautiful picture that God has for every single one of us as we join him in kingdom work. The priesthood of all believers, it's not the arrogant individualism that we've often made it to be, where it's me and God and I don't need anybody else in my dealings with him. The priesthood of all believers, it's a confession of mutuality. It's a confession that we're in this together. It's a, it's a willingness to guide one another in following the ways of Jesus. What it means practically is it means that we assist and we encourage one another to keep going. It means that we speak and act for one another in Jesus' name. Because in the community of the baptized, and that's who you and I are, in the community of the baptized, absolutely everyone is involved in priestly leading and being led. We believe that this is a part of the Jesus way that God is calling us into. And today, I'm calling you into this idea to believe it, to believe that you are equipped, that you don't need a professional, that God has called you as an ordinary person to live and work with him as he works through you and with you to see his kingdom come to the earth. And, and that's for everybody. Even as the prophet Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 11, verse 6, and a little child shall lead them. All my friends from Biggs that might be watching, this is for you too. Every single person. Hey, one chapel, let's just decide. If this is part of the Jesus way, then we want it. We're not spiritual consumers. We are, in fact, spiritual contributors. We're not just gonna go to church. We're gonna move beyond that. We're gonna believe that we are the church. We're gonna be the church every single day. So right there where you are, if you're ready to jump in with me, would you just take a moment and close your eyes? Maybe, maybe in your living room, just bow your head a little bit. Maybe stretch your hands out to God as a way of saying, God, I want this. 
I say yes to this. Maybe for you today, it's, it's time. It's time for you to accept who you are in Christ, to accept the work that he's done for you, to accept the cross and his body and his blood, his body broken, his blood shed, and let him do a work inside of you. Maybe it's time to believe I'm a part of the company of the baptized. Maybe it's time today to focus less on what you've considered to be the professionals. Yes, we still have a voice, but we're just on the same team. Maybe it's time for you to lean into Jesus for yourself. Maybe it's time for you to say, I want to be a part of the priesthood of all believers. Maybe you don't know anything about this because you've never actually made a decision to serve and follow Jesus. You've never said yes to giving him your life. No matter where you are in any of that spectrum, you can do that today. In fact, I would love to help you. And I can help you with the words. You might just say something like this, Jesus, I choose today to believe in you. I choose to believe that you love me, that you've called me, that you have a plan and purpose for me, and that with your sacrifice on the cross, through your body and through your blood, you made a way for me to have a relationship with you. I choose you today. And I I choose everything that you have laid out for me in my life. Today, the best way I know how, I surrender my life to you. Forgive me of living my own way. I want to live for you. Father, I pray for every person that prayed that prayer, and I ask that you would give them the grace and the strength and the ability to continue to say yes to you over the next days and months and even to the years, living in the community of the baptized, the priesthood of all believers. And I pray for all of us who have been on this journey for a while, that today we would realize you were at work in us. And we can deal directly with you. And we're asking that across every campus at one chapel, that the priesthood of all believers would rise as we follow you in the Jesus way. We say yes to everything that you want to do, and we bless you in Jesus' name. And everybody at home said a good amen.